But what we are looking at is we are looking at the doctrine um, of the church. And um, just kind of tell you a little bit uh, um, of what we're going to get into. It's, it's going to be about six weeks. It is going to be six weeks long. Um, you're going to get uh, the dynamics of the biblical church, um, the understanding of what the church uh, is. Um, and this morning you're going to get Christ's like, commitment to the church. Um, but we're also going to try to go very basic into um, Jefferson Baptist Church, <laughs> uh, how um, the structure of Jefferson Baptist is run. And, and so, you know, this is a time that we'll even give you um, a little bit of, of history, history, um, I don't know all of Dee's history, but a little history about Dee um, and a little history about me um, and, and, and those things and, uh, and history on how the church is, is run. And so I, I want you to stay committed to this class because it's going to get really interesting. It's not going to get interesting when we talk about the Bible in church, but it's going to get interesting when we talk about Jefferson Baptist in church because uh, I sat in seminary one time and says, all right, there is a whole bunch of church methods. There is like, you know, 10 different methods that you can do that we can pull out biblically that churches do in the day, so these are the ten methods, and and um, and after they did the ten methods, I'm like, Jefferson Baptist doesn't do any of them that way at all. <laughs> so, so we're a little uh, we're a little odd, we're a little different. So, I want to give you that explanation. Come back, <laughs> but uh, but we're gonna we're gonna have a uh, gonna have a fun class um, as we work on the context of what is the church. So this uh, this specific lesson is just um, talking about the church. Um, the church in general. Number one, the word church is the Greek word, ekklesia, meaning called out once. Ekklesia is um, used numerous times all the way through the New Testament. Almost every time you see the word church, ekklesia is the one that is being used. Um, You'll also see different definitions of of gathering, of of connection, of, of people coming together. Um, but the gathering, the people that come together, come together for the purpose of being the called out ones, um, the ones that are being called out um, by someone, which would be who? Which would specifically be God. So that's what the church means, called out ones. Number two, the root meaning of the church is not that of a building, but of a people. Whenever we think of church, we think of a building. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to go to church. Um, where do we get that? Um, we get that um, through the Old Testament often. Um, as we're reading the Bible and working, we think of, okay, there was a temple of where God is at. And all the way through the Old Testament, it talks about the temple, the presence of God, where God is at. Um, and it was healthy. It was good. Um, but Christ came and built a new covenant for a new purpose with new direction. And he gave us the dynamics of, I am no longer in the temple, but I'm where? I'm present in the human heart. My temple is in the human heart. So there is a huge shift in the New Testament of what the church is. And the church is specifically um, the people. Now, you're never going to get the, um, the word church in Hebrew or the, the Hebrew word church in the Old Testament. You're not going to get that in the Old Testament because it doesn't talk about church. The church is a new revelation, and the new revelation is that God is in us. God has left the Holy Spirit with us when he left. Therefore, the church is the people that are gathered together, not the building. 
You look at um, Romans 16, 5. Also, greet the church. And then he gives an explanation. That is in the house. <laughs> if you think about, um, just put this in the sanctuary in a sense, and let's say, pretend like it's not a house. Greet the church. You don't greet a building. No, you greet the body of believers. So when you say, I am part of church. I'm a part of the body of believers. Don't get it mixed up. And we can say it. I'm not saying change the words. But don't get it mixed up with the building. And the consequences of getting it mixed up with the building is that the ch- God exists in the church. Therefore, I need to go to the church to meet God. And then I leave him and I go and spend my day. That's what God, or spend my week, that's what God is trying to break. That's what Christ is trying to break. And that's why he's consistently saying the church is the, the people. So whenever we talk about the church, you want to think in mind, the church is, the church is us. Uh, the church is the body. Um, number three, just some um, um, kind of doctrinal understandings of the church. The church has two aspects. Uh, n- number one, which would be A, the universal church. All those, is the first aspect. All those who have been in personal relationship with Jesus. Um, that's called the universal church. Um, when we think of the church and the, we are responsible for the church, um, in America, what's the thing we think about? We are responsible for Jefferson Baptist Church. But are we just responsible for the body of people in Jefferson Baptist Church? Are we responsible for the kingdom of God in the entire geographical area of, of the world? Um, what is the church? The church is you have the head, which is Christ, and then you have the people, which is even the global church. For a church not to be involved in um, the global body um, is very sad. Um, it, is, um, it is wrong, and it's not even biblical. We need to be praying for the global body when we see it on the news, when we see it um, in our mission field, when we send our missionaries out. We are looking at everybody and thinking of Christians in everybody um, as we're looking at the church. What's interesting is that we need them. We need Africa. We need India. We need Indonesia. We need China. We need to understand those believers because as we understand and work with those believers, what is that? The body is then complete. Did you know that uh, the church is, is growing faster in China, way more than America? Church is growing faster in, in Africa, way more um, even than America. When I was going to Africa, you know, I went to Africa because I believe that Africa needed us. Africa needed Jefferson Baptist Church to minister to them. After I came back from Africa, I found out that we needed Africa even more than they needed, needed us. Um, in a sense that since I've been connected with the church in Africa, there has been a growing, a spiritual growing experience um, in me. Um, just in a sense that I'm not persecuted. Um, I'm not put down because of my faith. I uh, gave the gospel to the school at Jenny's School in Liberia. And when I gave the gospel, people stepped forward. Four individuals specifically stepped forward 
And we said, you know what? We want to dedicate our life to Jesus Christ. We want to commit our lives and our everything to Christ. And uh, so what do I say as American? I say, praise God. This is good. This is fun. But I had an African pastor right next to me. He says, all right, you know what's going to happen. You guys Muslim? I said, yeah, you're Muslim. Okay, it's going to cost you your family. Your family's going to reject you, but I know that we love you. We are committed to you, and God is committed to you, and God is faithful, but you will no longer have a dad. You will no longer possibly have a mom. You will no longer have a reputation that is, and I'm thinking about this, and I almost want to say, Pastor, whoa, whoa, shut up. Whoa, 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 quiet. You know, let, give the kid a break. Why? Because I'm from America, and, and we don't get that persecution that is taking place. And when we read the Bible, it unfolds persecution. I look at persecution in a different manner, knowing that I'm standing up with somebody, part of the global mission, standing up together and watching persecution take place right then. I needed that. I needed that for my understanding of Scripture. I needed that for my understanding of my spiritual walk. And when I read the Bible, it becomes more alive. It becomes more real as a result of being connected um, of being connected uh, with the global church. Um, there's also a, a story that I've given before. I don't know if you've heard it, but um, uh, I go over there and I teach seminars to Africa. And, uh, and when I teach these seminars to Africa, I find these subjects and work on these subjects and unfold the Word of God, and we sit with these pastors and we work with them. And I was working with our lead pastor, and I said, all right, you know, I'm coming back next year. You know, give me some things that you just want to unfold with the Word of God. Because I speak four language for them to read the Bible, you know, all the way through. I just want to make it smaller for them. Give me four topics that we can really work on and say, okay, let's unfold the Bible so it says what it says about this subject. So me and my great wisdom said, you know, maybe we should talk about forgiveness. The reason why I brought it up is because they just suffered an extreme war in Sierra Leone. And it's um, probably the most horrific war that even the world um, um, has known, um, just in a sense that the war was driven by um, brutality. The war was driven by um, um, uh, evil, sickness. And uh, what I mean by um, uh, evil, sickness, brutality, is that when the rebels were attacking the community, um, they made a game out of it and say, how many versions can we get in a day? And um, it doesn't care what age. And it was, it was sport. Um, let's go find some soldiers. Soldiers were hard to find. Therefore, what they'd do is they'd find kids' soldiers. They would embrace kids, pull them out, and they would drug them and train them to be massive killers. And the first step of adoption was to travel back to their home and let the children kill their parents in the pieces of adoption. They brought intimidation in regards to cutting off limbs. Arms were cut off. Legs were cut off. And you go there to Africa today and you see people without limbs just because of the, the brutality of that um, intimidation um, that, has, that has taken place. And so you look at the horrificness of war that lasted uh, for years that ended in 2001. So we're not talking 100 years ago. We're talking the people I'm teaching to right now have gone through that. And by listening to their stories, it's like, oh, it just makes, it makes, you, makes, you, makes you sick. So um, after the war was done, the way that it ended is that, you know, you had the rebels rise against the government, and then you had the civilians that were all in the middle. They were all just in this huge, ugly mess 
in the brush. And um, after it ended, um, the UN says the only way we can seal this war off is to um, convict the generals, convict those that are leaders, um, if, they, if they were not killed in the process, because after the Nigerian army came in, they killed the leaders, the generals, but if we caught them, we would bring conviction and send them to court, but then pardon everybody else. And so here you had a country that was horrifically in war, children killing adults, parents, everything that was taking place, and after the war was over, they all now live together, all um, in the, the village. So when I go to Africa, driving down the road, um, sorry, this is a long story, but I'm just getting trying the meat of why we need the church. Um, I'm driving down the road, um, the person that I'm close to in Africa says, oh yeah, this kid right there, he was a rebel. Um, and he was, explained, you know, all the, um, what was taking place and the dynamics. And then he also explained how, you know, a lot of the kids' soldiers were poisoned. You know, we knew who they are. So there's this quiet death, you know, that has still taken place. But the country is just, you know, is, is I wouldn't say not at edge. I would say at edge because war could break out any time. But they are hurting. They are oppressed. There is pain um, inside, inside of them. So me and my wisdom said, forgiveness. How about if I teach uh, forgiveness? I'm from America, and I have wisdom on uh, forgiveness. And uh, in the humility of the African pastor, he said to me, he said, oh, Mike, please come and teach forgiveness. We are a country that needs forgiveness. He said, I watched my sister be shot. And he even showed me the location. It wasn't this conversation, but showed me the location of where she was shot. He goes, I watched my other, my other sister um, was ab- uh, abducted. And I've never uh, seen her again. And then I also lost a brother in, in my war. He says, we need the topic of forgiveness. And then I looked at him and says, well, how are you dealing with that? He goes, oh, my, what you have to do is you have to let it go. You have to let it go and you have to hang on to Christ because the only thing that we have is to hang on to Christ because we would die if we did not. We'd be killed emotionally, we'd be killed spiritually, we'd be killed. We could not function if that was not the case. Therefore, forgiveness is what we have to do if we're going to be able to function as a society. And I looked at him and said, you know, Ben, I said, I'm stupid. I said, I don't want to come teach you about forgiveness. I want to fly you to America. (laughs) And I want you to teach us about forgiveness. Because what has taken place is that as we live in our cultures, the Word of God migrates to us and we get this such narrow-minded philosophy that this is where the world is, is at. But the Bible is not speaking to the, just the church of Jefferson Baptist Church. The Bible is speaking to the global church and we need them. We need to be connected with them. We need to be ministering with them. We need to be walking with them. In Africa, um, there's no um, pastors that are from America. What we do is we go and we work with the pastors, shoulders to shoulders, walking. And the thing that we try to break more than anything, because it's, it's a poison in Africa, is that we are not your chiefs. We are not your authorities. We are your servants, just like Christ was, to walk with you. And they're like, oh, no, 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 you're your chief. I'm like, no, no, get rid of that. We're not chief. We love you. We're connected with you. And you need to love them. You need to be connected with the people in your church. So that's how um, 
um, the experience of working with the global church grows us as individuals. So when you hear the word missions, don't think they're far away. Think they're a part of my body, and I need them just as much as they, as they need me. So everyone who has accepted Christ and has had a personal relationship with Christ is a part of this church. And remember what's called? A body. Therefore, we need part of the whole body. Ephesians 1, 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So that's one aspect the church is a universal church. And then B, um, the church is a local church. There is a local thing that we often talk in regards to. I'm going to go to church um, today. Uh, Galatians 1, 2 says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are there with me to the church of what? Galatia. So there is a specific body. So when you're looking at these specific bodies, you can talk about the specific bodies. You can talk about the church functioning inside your body where you grow. But the whole ministering aspect is that specific body must be connected to the whole body. Therefore, the specific body works again with the whole body. So yes, we can talk about church. I'm going to church. I'm connected to church. I love the church. My encouragement is to have your mind go a little bit further. You love the church to love the church even more. You get trained in the church to get trained in the church, the world church, even more. You're part of the church to be a part of the church. So as a pastor, you're really thinking, if we have got to be connected and we have got to get people connected. So you will hear missions trips come in Jefferson Baptist Church. How much? All the time. Hey, we're going on a mission trip. Going to Africa in October. There's a trip going to Indonesia and there's a meeting next week that's going to Indonesia in uh, October as well. We're going to go to Israel. When? May? And that's going to come up next, next week. You'll constantly hear all this come out because if people are not flying, people are not being connected as strong as we want them to. It's all right if you don't fly. But the strength of that connection of touching the body, the global body, is powerful uh, um, for the church because that's when you're getting connected with the church. Uh, number four, uh, Christ is the one who builds um, his church. Um, we can think in our minds, you know what? Africa needs me. Jefferson Baptist needs me. I've got the gifts that they need. And if they did not have me, they would not have the gifts. Therefore, how can the church function? How can the church be built? The answer is the church is going to be built with you or without you. <laughs> God doesn't need you <laughs> to complete the purpose, the mission, and the goal of his church. But what the cool thing is that God wants you and given you the opportunity to work alongside of him for the greatest blessing in the world. To do what? To build his church. So it's a whole different mindset that I've got to do something because nothing's going to be done unless God, unless I do it. But the real answer is, is God builds his 
church. Are you going to jump on board or are you going to step back? God is the one that built us, not us. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He doesn't say you're Peter, the rock who builds my church. He just says, you're Peter, stand up there. And as you stand up there, the church will be built not by you, but the church will be built by him. I will tell you that this is a verse that is very close to my heart. And the reason why is because I'm a preacher. <laughs> and as I'm a preacher, I think, okay, what do I got to say? What do we got to do? I hope I say it right. I hope it's connection. I hope it's strong. I hope it's going to work. I hope it's going to function. Those are poisonous thoughts that hit my mind more often than they ever should. Because what really has taken place is, Mike, just stand up there and act stupid and let me build my church off of you. I mean, there's faithfulness that takes place there. But my faithfulness will cause the fruit of his faithfulness um, at work. But it's not, it's not anything in my gifts. It's not anything in me. It's all in my faithfulness to him. And then he builds the church off of those who are being faithful. But he is the one who constructs it, not, um, not us. So we can often talk about spiritual gifts what are my spiritual gifts? When we're exploring the, the avenue of spiritual gifts, um, it's a healthy uh, conversation. But it's only a conversation that is given so you can say, I'm going to be faithful in an area with a prayer that God would work through me, with a prayer that something would be done, with a prayer that fruit would be established, not by my hands, but, um, but by God's. Number five, uh, Christ lived for the church. He died for the church. He rose for the church. He sent the Holy Spirit to the church. And he's coming for his church. Does Christ really have a commitment to his church? Does Jesus really have uh, care at all about his church? Give a rip for his church? Um, just what Christ has given, just in that one statement, uh, we can say, the church is absolutely, extremely important. Why do you get the words consistently going through Scripture? Love your brother. Why? Because he wants you to love the church. Because why? Because he specifically loved the church. Again, this brings a lot of fear into me because I'm uh, um, conversing with people often. Talking with people constantly standing up here in front of people and speaking what am i what are we doing when you look at the the concept and we're going to talk more about this you know in regards to the pastors and positions and those things but you look at the context is that when we work with people we are working with god's sons we are working with god's daughters we are working with god's children that's one thing but God's sons, daughters, and children that he lived for, died for, rose for, sent, and coming for. Therefore, how could I ever have an opportunity to say, I'm not going to forgive anybody? How could I ever hate somebody? How can I ever be mean and angry to somebody when those are God's people? All the people we come into contact with and we work with that are Christians, that are Christ's church, that he devoted himself to, 
And then he turns around and says, okay, I'm going to give you the responsibility to devote yourself to them. See what it does is it changes perspective, thinking I'm dealing with God's church every day because I'm dealing with people every day. And God lived, died, rose, sent, and is coming for his bride. What am I going to do to his bride? What am I going to do for his bride? Number six, uh, some of Christ's last words were praying for the church. One passage in this study that I just looked at was just fascinating to me, and this is the reason why I had to put it down, is that um, after the Lord's Supper, there was a prayer that took place, and it's found in John 17. And in John 17, Jesus just prays. What's interesting is he prays five verses uh, for himself, and then he prays 18 verses for his church which is very, very interesting because he, um, he's not on his deathbed, but it's almost his last words, my last words to God, and I'm going to pour my heart out. Number one, he prayed for him, strength, endurance, and be with my body um, as I leave. So when you look at the, almost the last words of God to his people, or God to his church, um, you want to hang on to those last words. Because they're coming from the heart of the living God before he dies for the church. So what are the last words that he says in the prayer specifically to his church that he is leaving? He will send the Holy Spirit, but that he is leaving and send the Holy Spirit to. What is his last words to the church? And I just wanted to put them down. Jesus prayed that we'd have unity. It's interesting that he picked a topic, and one of the greatest topics is God Give them unity. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise. I'm going to build a kingdom. Make sure that they have unity is a focus. And we'll definitely be working on this through the, throughout the weeks in regards to the church. John 17, 9. Here's his prayer. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, which is the church. For they are yours. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, just like we are one. So I can ask the question, what does God want from his church? This is the top of the prayer. Please help them to be one, just like I am with my Father. It was also mentioned again, this is the continued prayer, mentioned again in John 17, that all men may know, or may be one, Father, just as you and I are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Do you see a repetitive statement? I want them to be one, one, one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me even though loved them even as you have loved me. There is not that much meat, I mean focus in any other subject than that one out of unity. And he's completely, consistently comparing it to who? To him and his father. Unity, 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 unity. What is the most um, destructive thing in the church that's happening in this world today? Maybe just in the United States? Destruction of unity. What's some of the greatest sins? Is gossip. Um, slander takes place. 
What's the word slander? Slander is I'm going to destroy this person's reputation. Therefore, I can destroy this person's ministry if I can destroy this reputation. That's what the word slander is. You know, we look at um, the thing of, boy, I hope God doesn't, dis- I hope our church doesn't go down. Do you see the sexual sins that pastors are doing? Which is horrific. It's tearing the churches down. But what about where Satan is really, really working? He's really, really working in the areas that Christ has a huge, huge focus. And that focus is they have got to be one. Because if they are one, then the world will know that they are mine. And the world will know that they sent me. And the world will know that Christ and God are one. Huge, um, a huge focus. And um, as we talk about Jefferson Baptist, you always hear that words. There's going to be unity. There's going to be unity. There's going to be unity. Why? Because we have um, lost everything if unity is not functioning in the deep heart um, of our body. Jesus knows that. That's why he put so much prayer and emphasis in regards to unity. The other piece that um, that he prays for is um, Jesus prayed that his church would be protected uh, from the evil one, protected from what does the evil one do? Sexual sins, all the things that the enemy throws at you, uh, materialism, um, hate, malice, all the things that the enemy is going to throw at you. God, please protect them. What's interesting, he said unity first because these are in order. Unity's first and protection um, is, is second. My prayer, this is John 17, 15, my prayer, this is Jesus still praying is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I don't want to pull them to heaven. <laughs> I don't want them yet. I mean, that's what that verse says. Leave them there. Okay, they're sinners. I know they're sinners. Okay, they're not perfect. I know they're not perfect. Okay, they're, they're, they're struggling individuals. They carry, you know, um, depression, oppression, mad, anger, frustration. They're, they're, they're wild animals. I know they are. But this is my prayer, that they stay there and that they are protected. Because if they stay there and are protected, what's going to happen? Ministry can take place. Love can take place if they're protected. Remember Paul when he said, Oh, God, I want to die to be with you, and it would be so great. But it's more important that I stay here for the benefit of what? For the benefit of the body. Jesus is like, I want you exactly where you're at. Hold unity and make sure that you're protected from the evil one. It's his prayer to us. Last words to us. In the letter C, Jesus prayed that the church would be sanctified in truth. Sanctified is set apart. Um, Sanctified is made pure. In what? In truth. Does God want his truth open when we gather together? He desperately wants his truth open because it is his word as we gather together. This is inside the prayer that Jesus is talking. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. Let them have unity, protect them from the evil one, and make sure that they are sanctified in my word, is what he's praying for the church. Letter D. Jesus prayed that his church would be with him. So we only have four categories, unity, protection, truth. And I'm not saying this is everything. I'm saying these are the last words, so it must have been very important to Jesus. And then also that we would be, um, that we would be with him. John 17, 24, Father, 
I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of this world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So what's he asking for? Be with God. What's interesting is that when you look at church and the structure of the church, what do you have that's consuming a service? The thing that you have consuming a service is the preaching of the Word of God. you got announcements in there too. That's not biblical, I'm sorry. But you have the preaching of the Word of God and you have worship. Um, the next six weeks I'm going to do a series on worship. So come next week. <laughs> but um, you have worship. What is worship? Worship is a proclamation, the declaration, the excitement that Christ is in me. And that's what we sing about. So the structure of our church in America has even come from the prayer that God has given at the very end. Let the world know that they are in me. Please let the world, uh, people understand that they are in me. Let them proclaim that they are in me. Let them celebrate that I'm with them and they're in me and that we um, are, are connected. So that was the prayer. Unity, protection from evil and sanctified by truth, and then that you are going to be with him. Number seven, just in closing, the church is a supernatural entity, which is a process of growing towards the world to come. We are a people that have been um, set apart for a purpose. And what is that purpose? I know that's a pretty arrogant statement. We have been set apart for a purpose. Uh, what is that purpose? To work towards the world to come. Um, the reason why it's such an arrogant statement, because it is such a prized possession. We are set apart by God for a purpose that carries a prize possession. What's our mission of the church? We've got to let the world know that. We've got to let the world know that. We've got to understand it. We've got to believe it ourselves. We've got to walk in it. That we are set apart for something more than the world has. Um, many churches... Um, Think, how can we get more people um, inside um, of our body? What can we possibly do? The only way we can get more people inside of our body of believers is to offer them something that the world does not offer them. And the thing that we have to offer them is what? A living God with an eternal hope and a mission that carries an ultimate purpose, a good purpose, a strong purpose. And yes, it does sound arrogant because, why? It is pretty amazing, but we possess it for the one purpose, to give it to the person that is outside the church. So let's um, go for some questions and some um, statements, comments, um, and those things. Mike, uh, I have a, this is kind of, I'm not even sure how to ask this question, but um, we as the church are, I, I guess, we're, said that we're, we're set apart, we're called, we're, you know, we're, we're 
not of the world. And we're, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Are we, do you think we're commanded to, to treat people in the church in a different manner than people outside the church? I mean, like, in, in terms of, like, priorities, you know, if somebody needs help, um, we help the church first and, and then people that aren't in the church. Um. <laughs> so, um, very good question, Matt. And uh, we would use that word called. What are we called to? Are we called to the people in the church? Or are we called to people outside the church? And my answer would be, we are called to people. Um, so everything that happens inside of the church should do nothing more than create um, an energy and excitement to go outside of the church. I believe that the church exists for those who are outside the doors more than inside the doors. So what happens when people come into the church, they're coming to get healthy for a purpose, not to stay ingrown, but to go out and bring, and bring people in. And that's where I get the passage, the commission to the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how did Paul do that? Uh, what Paul did is he planted a whole bunch of churches. And then who did he communicate to more than anybody? He communicated to the leaders of the churches, the elders of the churches, the pastors of the churches. But why did he communicate to those people? He communicated to those people so that they would go out in their area. So his purpose and his drive, his mission, was not necessarily them, but was the people that were around them. And that's why you have so much hold unity. You've got to move with strength for those that are outside. So to answer your question very clearly, I would say the church is created for those that are outside, and we find our strength in the inside. Now, one thing that takes place on the inside is that the inside needs resources. The inside needs help. But we have definitely have to have a balance. And I would say that the balance would almost even weigh on the outside even stronger than the inside. That's, hor- that's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> but the reason why I'd say it needs weigh on the outside even more um, than the inside is that um, when... Um, the gospel is say, saves, and we hold on to that, and that is the one message. The people in the church are holding on to eternal life, and as soon as they give to people and people find eternal life as a result of what they give, they will grow. If they do not give the world the gospel, they will actually get more stale, more needy, more, it, it will shut them down. So the preaching goes, go out so you guys can be strong uh, um, in, in those sense. That's why if it's focused on, okay, we're a hospital to help everybody in, well, what that's going to do is that's going to create a larger hospital with more hurting people because they're not going out. When they go out, that is when people actually even get healed. Um, some um, churches have turned into necessarily hospitals in the sense that we will, we will help, we will help, we will help, they're not given the proper medicine if they're not sending them out, 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 out. And, and I see that in Africa, really big. Give us money. <laughs> and if you can take care of us, we'll take care of the church. It's like, no, no, we don't want 
to do that. We want your character to drive the gospel out. And as a result, you will see that the church and the money will be taken care of. Somebody has a microphone? Yeah, friends. Uh, Mike, I have a comment to make about a statement you made about feeling in, the inadequacy of pre- presenting the gospel because mm-hmm. of its such importance. Mm-hmm. Is there not a scripture that says, and I hope you take this right, that mm-hmm. God says they would use the foolish things of the world to count found the wise? Mm-hmm. Is that not correct? Yeah. That it would seem foolish, would seem foolish uh, uh, to the world that uh, I, I might, I, I, maybe you can expound on that a little bit a little, uh, later. On, another thing, I, when, when a, lot, a lot of times people ask us, well, well, you know, where do you go to church? I say, well, there's, you know, there's a building down the road here on the north end of Jefferson that we, 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 we meet with the church. And that, and that, you know, happened. So, but, or, or, or if I say Jefferson Baptist Church, oh my gosh, they said, that's a nice church. Well, you know what they're referring to, our, our building, this facility. Mm-hmm. So I try to lead them away from that mm-hmm. concept that this building is the church. So, yeah. Anyway. A good question would be, nice in which way? And, and it, w- it would be like, whoa. I mean, because that would be a strong question in a statement. They've got to answer that question now. Nice because of the people? Oh, that's what we want to hear. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what we want them to say. Not nice because of Bill, but nice by um, the people. So I want to um, go um, to your comment of inadequacy. Um, um, the most powerful gospel um, that you can give is one who feels like it is so big, so powerful, and so, uh, I'm so inadequate. Um, to do it um, because then they're hanging on to the power and the severity and the glory of Christ inside of the gospel and um, the most beautiful prayers that are ever prayed are, are prayers given by a new believer not by one that is given by a professional priest that goes you know has his structures that makes the big words in the theological those are not the prayers that are just absolutely beautiful the new prayers and I just I just love listening and and uh Dan Duty is not here. He says, I'm not going to be here today, but uh, he is the greatest guy in the world. And Pastor D and I were talking about him um, a couple weeks ago. And whenever we do corporate prayers, he was a brand new Christian. And we said, okay, you can't cuss in your prayers. <laughs> I mean, but it was so beautiful. I mean, the reason why it's so beautiful, because his heart was just poured out, a brand spanking new believer talking to God. And, and he doesn't cuss in his prayers anymore. And he's just he consistently prayer. But there's, there's something about God has touched me. It's not the perfect lifestyle. It's the beautiful grace that has touched a heart that I'm inadequate because this thing is so amazing. But I'm going to keep on going. Those, that's where you're going to get power. See, what happens in a church, we think, I have to be adequate. I have to be perfect. I have to have this, you know, these, these models. But a new believer... Somebody that says, okay, I just got to figure this out, is the most effective Christian that is out there because all he's doing is walking around and say, I'm saved by grace. Why would, God, God, why would God save a guy like me? And for some reason, as we grow up in our Christianity, we start going, okay, I figured out now why God saves a guy like me because I'm pretty good. That's not where we need to be. The place we need to be is, and I talked about this even a couple weeks ago, 
is in our inadequacy and in our weakness and that we are saved by Christ and Christ alone and nothing else that we have done or will do can bring us salvation. And when that message comes across with inadequacy, Christ's grace shines and then the person that's standing in front of you, because we're all inadequate, the person standing in front of you goes, wow, God can love me too. See, that's the power, the power of that. So I would say inadequacy is good. Oh, well, thank you. I'm very inadequate. <laughs> and you will never hear prayerfully, if you hear from me, that, okay, let me tell you how to do it because I figured it out. Holy smokes. Kick me out, Francis. Because there is a God that has a grace that is driving. But thank you, Francis. I appreciate that. Hey, Mike. Uh, I just wanted to kind of make a statement a little bit about the way that I was raised in the church. And, you know, there's, as you're raised in, in a certain denomination, when you, when you hear about church, uh, you hear about that denomination. When you talk about it in, the, in, in your church, you hear about the, that denomination. And I remember one time I started teaching Sunday school, and they sang this song, and some of you might have heard it, and some of you might have not, but they talk about the church is not a steeple, it's not a building, but... We are the church. You know, the children are the church. The people are the church. But in today's society, it's kind of like what Francis was talking about when people ask him what church he goes to. You think about church as a denomination or as a building, not about the people. And, and I think Satan uses that in a very powerful way. Because growing up in the church that we grew up in, you, you know, you're kind of taught that that doctrine is the correct doctrine. That you are actually better than other other denominations because you believe the right way and they don't. And I think Satan uses that in such a powerful way that that the very first statement that you said in here about, um, you know, Jesus prayed that we would have unity. And we as churches, as denominations, we don't have unity like what we should. You know, one of the things that I really, really appreciated about Jefferson Baptist when I started coming here was when they started having all these different activities with different churches where the body of Christ, the church, got together. Not, not with, to talk about their difference in doctrines, but to talk about God, to talk about their belief, about their love. And uh, you don't see that. You don't see that in, in very many churches anywhere. And, and I think it's so neat, you know. Um, and we, I believe we as Christians need to concentrate more on not so much whether we're Baptist or whether we're Christian Reform or whether we're Mennonites, but that we're part of the body of Christ, the whole church, what you were talking about before, the universal church. And if we forget about our differences, forget about our doctrinal differences and worry about relationships, you know, relationships as with people, you know, the the statement that was said earlier, you know, what people do we help? Do we help people in the church, help people outside the church? We just need to help each other, not so much in the church or outside, just people. We're all sinners. Mm -hmm. We need to help the sinners. We yeah. need to do what God has put us here for. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, um, 
relationships is probably the most important thing. And I think that's what God wants more mm-hmm. than anything. He wants us to have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Not so much about whether it's right to baptize by submersion or by sprinkling, but about relationships. And I think that's what we need to do more of, you know, talk about the body of Christ. All right. Praise God. So that'll be the last question because I definitely want to comment on that question. Where do we get denominations? The place, I talked about it in the church service this morning, the place that we get denominations, it comes from the mind. It doesn't come from the heart. And see, there was no denominations in the greatest revival that's ever taken place in this world, and the greatest revival was through the apostles. Um, they did not, were not educated in the mind. They were educated with the truth that affected the heart, and that drove the greatest revival in the entire world. And so all the denominations is when minds are at work, and as minds go to work, the gospel gets cold, and the gospel gets non-attractive to the unbeliever or to anybody. And the saddest part that I think the church will be judged is the gospel is not cold. The gospel is hot because it doesn't work in the mind. It works in the heart and it works in the emotions. And as soon as that is the spear that drives everything, rather than all this, our minds at work, but you get the spear that drives emotions rather than the minds, then what you're going to have is you're going to have a healthy, a healthy body. And uh, when it comes to denominations, I get rid of all mind stuff. Let's work off the tip of the gospel. Those who believe that is the church. Sorry, that's we. I mean, that's the church, the tip of the gospel. And let's take off and run. Oh, what about Calvinism? Whoa, 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 whoa! It feeds the gospel, but what kind of feeding does it give? It life? Does it give it strength? Does it give it? Just keep on going. Um, you've got to have a church driven by the heart, not the mind. And a church that's driven by the mind will always argue because minds never get along. Same way with our children here. Here, this since I'm going to preach a sermon about it. Same with our children. If you work with the mind, you are going to have a cold child. You're going to have a frustrated child and an irritated parent. So, all right. Thank you, guys. Um, you're dismissed, and we'll go through it the next six weeks and do that.